MailChimp presents. Have you ever heard of the dreaded customer? You know, it's when marketers throw their customers into one big messy group, failing to define them by their different needs or habits. It can show up when coupon codes meant for new customers are sent out to everyone, even return customers who can't use the discount. Basically, it's a mess. If you're a marketer, Intuit MailChimp can help you personalize your marketing campaigns so that you meet customers' individual needs instead of missing them. Turn customers into customers by personalizing emails and SMS based on real-time behavior data. Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. SMS is available as an add-on to U.S. paid plans only. Visit MailChimp.com for details. Killer Mike and LP had made names for themselves long before they formed Run the Jewels in 2013. Killer Mike is one of the best young MCs in Atlanta in the early 2000s, able to hold his own and often stand out in a crowd of some of the most important artists in hip-hop. LP came into prominence around the same time as one of the most innovative producers and MCs in New York. It was my absolute pleasure to sit down with Run The Jewels for today's episode. You can hear the love and respect they have for one another, not only in what they say, but how they say it. And on this episode, we talk about the song that hardened their creative resolve for years to come. I swooned through the whole thing. I'm utterly lovestruck. I'm Shirley Manson, and this is The Jump. I am so thrilled to have you today. So thank you so much, gentlemen, for agreeing to sit down with me today. Um, And uh, before we even go any further, I just want to say like, Run the Jewels 4 fucking blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was, for me, it was the record of last year. Um, And I know that all Brits agree with me. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) we're, 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 We're excited to get over there. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it must be hard to release a record during COVID, basically. It must have been really frustrating. Well, we didn't know. It was actually not hard. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was actually the opposite of hard. It was like, it just took away all the work, you know? It was, it was yeah, it was, it's weird to do a record and then Zoom about it for three months, you know? But, um, but, you know, yeah, it was weird. It was definitely weird. So we're here today to to talk um, specifically. Um, we always pick on the jump up one specific song that sort of represents some kind of growth for the band or a jump off point. And so you picked a Christmas fucking miracle as your jump off point. Well, I'm guilty of that. I think I, that was that was the name that I threw in the in the in the pot. Um, but a Christmas miracle is the one on the album that I always think to myself was the start of something deeper for me and Mike about being partners, creative partners, and, and about being artists together. Because I think every 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 record, you have a few categories of, of songs for Run the Jewels. A lot of them are just rooted in fun and shit talk and one-upmanship and, and 
and those are the characters of LP and Killer Mike, and we're indestructible, and we're, and you know, those are our avatars. Uh, uh, there's always a couple of songs on there where you really get to something that's really just Jamie and Mike as people, um, as 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 men who met, you know, in our 30s together, and who had a whole life of you know exploring music and art and writing and. That was the first record that me and Mike did, I think, together, in which we really sort of shed those sort of superpowers and became just the people together. Anyway, so, so that was my thought about it. I just, I just, I remember when we did it, I think that we sort of, we knew because of the power of the music and naturally felt like it was time to, to bear our souls a little bit. And I always thought that for me personally, if I didn't, say anything else on Run the Jewels, that that verse would have sufficed. That was me and BK on Atlantic. Never looked both ways, ran in traffic. Pops went away, but I stayed vagrant. Place where the steel and cement became nature. Look what you did with the place, it looks gorgeous. Cityscape with a flood of good men courses. And the dreamers of bull trapped in porcelain. Take a knee to the gods and get horseshit. Wanna live with a thrill, they'll arrange it. Got a bevy of imps to spit hatred Shit'll get in your head and cause panic Have you desperately begging to get famous Get your dignity dirty and left orphaned Sanity on the fringe of distorted Who are they to just take shit and hoard it? Who am I that I don't get my portion? That was why I threw it in, because I just thought it was important for us. And it opened it up. And by the time we got to Run the Jewels 2, we knew that when the time came that we could say something sincere in the context of being rap partners. Um, mm -hmm. which is which was important yeah because i mean listening to the song now it's more relevant probably than than even when you wrote it in 2013 right i feel like in 2013 when this when your first debut came out you know the support behind that kind of messaging perhaps mm. wasn't there in the way that it is right now is that fair to say I listen to that song and I think it's a uni they're, they're universal truths. I think Mike is speaking universal truths and, and mm -hmm. then I'm trying to do the same. And hopefully that those things are timeless to some degree. I think that what makes it more relevant in this time, if you talk about, say, 2012, 2013, that being eight, nine years ago, the kids that were eight, nine, ten years old then are now young adults. And like me, when I watched Planet of the Apes with my grandfather, from the 60s, I can remember watching that movie and having read Animal Farm in the same like one, two year and start to understand beyond just race class. Because I grew up in a very insulated um, black mecca called Atlanta. So I didn't grow up feeling like a minority. All my heroes and villains look like me because I was in a black city. I was in a, a community that was planned by black people for black people. So I knew racism existed. I, but it wasn't something that I confronted on a daily basis. It was something that I saw on television and made me very afraid of the bigger world. It was something that I experienced when I traveled outside of my neighborhood in very passive kind of ways. You know what I mean? But over, overall, Atlanta had given me um, the, con the content of character storyline where I understood you could be of any race or color, but your character mattered. Because, again, all my heroes and villains had looked like me because those were the people in power. But I think that these things are always kind of here that we talk about socially, class, race, um, you know, Jamie talking about weaponizing love in his verse. And when he also talks about you're already born rich just to be born and have this human experience and 
how God doesn't give a fuck about fortunes. Um, to me, that's a very liberating thing. That's that's from the proletariat. And that's true if you're in, you know, old Russia, if you're in um, apartheid South Africa, if you are in the apartheid called Jim Crow, that's America and the continued apartheid called the drug war. So those things, you know, I think are always there. It's just that I think that the young people from, you know, 10 years ago, are they, they're older and they get it now. The beat breaks and your teeth break. Keep your canines embedded in my knuckles as a keepsake. It was seeing your veneers, just mere souvenirs falling out your mouth and on to the landscape. Me and LP do the secret handshake. Then I pummel punch a pumpkin head punk in his pimple face till he punch drunk cause he's sweet as a pound cake. And he pussy my ear, L, I'll say. Into the wild, wild style, ghetto child running wild. Where the lions in the aisle stay. The powers to be even off of the reprise. Told us they'll take us out if we bow to our knees. But they can give that to the kings and the queens and the Worshipers of idols and followers of things Cause I would rather be in the jungle with the savages Kill or be killed and I'm working with the average What was going on socially or politically or personally in your life around writing this song? Because it's not holding back any punches Yeah, I remember Jamie saying, you know, we've had a lot of fun just, you know, just busting ass and Rap-wise, he was like, you know, we we should say something on this track. Like, it's only the last one on the track, and he invoked the will. So I'm always down to say something. It felt good from a rap perspective for me to finally be with a partner who understood the importance of saying something. Much of my career had been, um, let's find what'll make you popular, then you can say something. You know what I'm saying? And from working with Jamie, you know, what became Run the Jewels, it, the the purpose from the start was to to not only be dope, but to say something when you have an opportunity. So for me, I was just, what was going on in my life is what always had been going on. I wanted to desperately be a rapper. I loved and enjoyed rapping, and I felt compelled to say something. But for the first time between rap music and making Run the Jewels 1, the team was totally on board because the team was just Jamie and me. And it was just like being two kids with an imagination and no no borders. So saying something became more than just, you know, I need to, a desperate plea to say something on behalf of humanity, but what's the most dopest attitude, swaggerish, hip hopish way that I could say something and make this shit sound dope and cool and provocative and what it really is Two people who don't look alike, who are not raised of the same um, belief system but found a connectivity in humanity and in hip hop and our friendship is a display for what the possibilities are. You know what I mean? So I, I've, I, I took that opportunity when we made that record and I've taken that opportunity to, to, to help me grow, you know, mentally, spiritually, physically and lyrically, you know, since then being in this group. Impressionable minds get molested in a form by manipulating forces. Don't fret, little man, don't cry. They can never take the energy inside you were born with. Knowing that, understand you can never be poor. You already won the war, you were born rich. You can only take the energy you had going back to the ground where the home of your Lord is. Whoever, whatever that Lord is, couldn't give a fuck if you ever made fortunes. Fuck anyone ever trying to run that pump shit. Send it to the flames where the orcs live. Him and the lost minds thinking they're smarter than us. Don't understand love's importance. And we can weaponize that, bring it back to the truth where the ashes and dust got formed in. So how does it work with you two? Like, I mean, it's fascinating to me because a duo to me is so unexplored. Like bands we've talked about a million times. Solo artists we've talked about a million times. But duos are something very 
specific and and mysterious still, I think. Like, how does this work? I think it's it was mysterious to us, too, a little bit, you know, because as much as me and Mike had worked together on his album, that was all for the that was all about Mike's record. And, and you know, it was very much about getting what, to, to the root of what Mike was and wanted to say. And when I was doing my record, Cancer for Cure, it was all about me. And I was sort of doing those um, in tandem. And we both were on each other's records. When we did Run the Jewels 1, we had just gotten off tour. We had released those two records, both of which I produced. Surprisingly, we released it within a week of each other. I didn't even know that that was the plan. So it was a co-headline, right? It was a co-headline, co-headline tour. And it just worked out because I, I remember being like, Mike being like, yeah, my, my record's releasing a week after your record. And I was like, oh, okay. I, so we were just like, we should probably tour together then. That makes sense. And, and we did. And we had a great time, great tours. Um, we would do the records with each other that we had on each other's albums. And then after that, um, I was getting ready to kind of go back into solo Jamie mode and try and make a piece of music in some way. I had this idea to put out some sort of free project, um, just something just to keep because I was feeling inspired. I told Mike that I found this studio in upstate New York. We we were all in a good mood. I brought my friend um, Taco up there, uh, who's Little Shalimar, who produces co-produces on the records and. Um, this was the first time that me and him were really co-producing something together, working together. I just brought him up because we're best friends. And I told Mike I was doing this and he was like, hey, man, I'll come. Sure. And I think Mike was in the same place. He was psyched, but neither of us knew what the future was. We just felt good. We just felt like we had pulled off what we tried to pull off with our records. We had pulled off what we tried to pull off of the tour. And now the future was open again. Here we are. And two guys who didn't know what their careers were going to be uh, two years prior, all of a sudden felt like they were back and they kind of had energy and, and, you know, so Mike was just like, yeah, let's go. I'll do it. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Come on up. We did not know that we were going to become Run the Jewels. The way I looked at it was like, I was going to do a project called Run the Jewels. And Mike was like, oh, I'll come and be on it. That turned into us going to this place in upstate New York, um, we were looking for a place to get out of town. I booked two weeks. Mike came. He stayed for the two weeks. And we basically proceeded to uh, go on a strong regimen of alcohol, marijuana, and <laughs> uh, and mushrooms <laughs> for about for about two weeks straight and and just proceeded to have a good old time and wrap our asses off and just And you and made this album in two weeks? We did the bulk of the, the lyrics in two weeks. Holy shit. Yeah. So, Mike, you, you said that you had a, a sense that this might become. Yeah, I knew, I knew the first three hours record with Jamie, my first record, we were supposed to be making music together. I didn't give a fuck. I was just like, I was born to rap over this guy's beats. And you know what I mean? I remember before he went up to start recording, he was like, man, it just takes me a long time to write. Like five years in between records. I'm like, shit. We wrote we wrote two <laughs> songs together really fast. Like fuck that! I wow. remember telling my my management team like I'm going to fuck with him. And they was like, "What?" Well, I was like, "Yeah, I'm just like, like what's gonna come?" I was like, "I don't fucking know," but I'm not worried about a solo record. Like I'm finna go do this tape with him because it was fun. And and I really I really gotta say like, you know, part of being a rapper is it's it's you start because it's fun and. Even on the worst day or most argumentative, not see the same perspective day, <laughs> it is way more fun 
than my rap career prior. You know what I'm saying? In which I had bigger records or, or sold more or all the industry shit, but it wasn't me. I didn't get to be me. My professor emeritus say we've been cursed being brought to the Americas. How you raise a whole human single parent? No marriages, no sense of heritage. Planned Parenthood helping plan miscarriages, but I'm lucky mommy already had a narrative. Product of a teenage love, my arrogance derives from the pride in the job my parents did. Name Mike, I was told it was godlike. Even dance with the devil came out all right. Okay, honor y'all, no way. Still spell America with the triple K. Word up the spice one at O'Shea. And in the MC, kicking what I go through. Real rap, my last line so true. Rest in peace to Talk me through like when you actually recorded a, a Christmas miracle. Um, at what point in the album process did this song appear? Late, I think it was. It was. It was pretty late yeah, it was at in the, the end. process. Um, it was definitely late. It was definitely late in the record. Cause, cause, and I know it was late in the record because because we had already done a bunch of jams, and none oh. of the jams were particularly of this ilk. And so I think that we really we had that moment where we talked about it and we were like, this sounds, this sounds like something else. This sounds like something we haven't done yet. And it was really discussed ahead of time. It wasn't discussed in terms of subject matter. And me and Mike really don't do that. We never really say, here's what I want to talk about. Um, but if anything, we, we, we might talk about how the beat makes us feel and um, prepare each other for where our heads are at a little bit. And then whoever kind of sets the tone, whoever has an idea first in, after we talk about that, really dictates what the other person does. And it's never about, it's, never, it, it, it's not like, oh, Mike just said this or told this story from his life or from his heart, so I need to tell a similar story or I need to do, it's really just me or him checking what what each other are doing with our spirit you know um if 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 i see that mike is pouring his heart out i'm gonna try and honor him by plumbing the depths of whatever my story is and whatever my history is and bringing something to it that is mine but that is honoring that moment by being as heartfelt or as real as I can be in that context, you know. And steel sharp and steel is the it's, you inspire each other just on some on some hip hop shit. It's like you don't become a better b boy by only practicing with b boys who are below you. You don't become a better graph writer by not running with the best graph writers. You don't become a best DJ by carrying crates. You got to get up there and, and compete with yourself every day, and that will get you to a point. But the beauty of having a partner or being in a duo is you could fuck around and have an uninspired day. I got four kids and a wife. I got a lot of shit sometimes that just lands in my lap. I'm like, I don't, I'm not a fucking rapper today. And I'll hear a bar from Jamie and I'm like, oh no, no, let me go get my cape. I forgot I'm a fucking rapper. Amazing. I'll be right back to that husband <laughs> and kid shit. You know what I mean? So to me, I lean on him and, you know, in terms of to be inspired. I think that the coolest part about being a duo is even if you're tired and you're not running the play as hard as you think you can, your partner is definitely going to do that. There's an old meme of two UCLA basketball players and a kid messes up and he's taller and he holds his head down and the kid who's shorter walks right next to him and picks his head up for him. And that's what being in a rap group with Jamie often is like, you know what I mean? Where we're, I know that one of us is going to inspire the other to hold their head to fuck up and let's kill this record, you know?
can't thank you enough for today. You're spectacular, oh, gentlemen, and I can't wait to hear what you do next. And I love you so, so much. Well, we love you back, and thank you so much for having us. It's a real honor. Thank you so much. Jump is hosted by me, Shirley Manson, and produced by Dan Gallucci. The Jump is an original series from MailChimp, produced in partnership with Little Everywhere. Dan Gallucci and Jane Marie are the executive producers. The Jump is mixed by Mike Richter. Original music composed by Rishikesh Hirway. And a very special thanks goes out to our wonderful booker, Mara Davis. <laughs> <laughs>